Today we're going all the way to Los Angeles. Monique Dusan is the president of the Center for Biblical Unity. And she's got a heart for the great awakening and a biblical worldview on race, culture and identity, which they're going to cover in a women's conference presented by Apologetics South Africa on the 1st and the 2nd of March right here in South Africa. Monique, it's such a privilege to meet you. And also to know that even though you're sitting there high and dry in Los Angeles, you know exactly what's going on in South Africa, you were here for a great while. But before we get into that, you've got to introduce yourself just as a normal person, not the person with a biography, the one at home. Monique Dusan, tell me who you are. I am, uh, gosh, I, well, one, I guess I do, um, I am the president of the Center for Biblical Unity, but I co-founded it with my best friend, and ministry partner Krista Bontrager and we both live in Los Angeles um I am gosh a daughter and a sister and I am not married I do not have kids I grew up in an area called South Central Los Angeles and I had a single mom I grew up with a single mom and three siblings I did go to a university out here named Biola University it is a Christian university and then I worked in social service around Los Angeles doing uh, work with youth and children and the homeless community here. And then in 2014, I actually moved to South Africa and I lived in the Stellenbosch area and did work um, in Cape Town. But why? Why did you come to South Africa as a missionary in the first place? Because I love South Africa. <laughs> I originally came in 2010 as part of a mission team that worked in Kayamandi, um, which is um, in the Stellenbosch area, and really just fell in love with it. I felt the Lord impress it on my heart then in 2010 that I would be moving to South Africa. And it took four years, but eventually what the Lord impressed on my heart actually came about and he had me move there in 2014. I was there from 2014 to 2018. Exactly. So you had a real immersive experience in South Africa. You experienced on the ground what people experienced living where you were and you were working with drugs and violence and trauma, the everyday lives of people. When you were here, because this obviously gave you a focus, a theme to work on when you went back home, what what is it that you experienced here that touched your heart most? Gosh, I think it was a couple of things. So I have a heart for working with kids and it was just the rawness of the kids, the genuineness of the youth that I worked with. I started out working in Kayamandi and I ended up going into more Cape Town proper and working with youth and um, teachers there. But it was just the the circumstances that they were born into by no you know no fault of their own. How do how do we conquer? How do we move beyond? What what are the skills that are needed to equip a young person to move beyond their current circumstance into something that is different, that is better, that is God centered? Do they understand um, that they are loved by God? That God exists. And so that is, that's what I was doing. I started out originally teaching a dance class after school in one of the schools there and then moved on to working with, with kids regarding, you know, things that were happening in their homes.
And the challenges that they faced, what were the ones that stood out for you, you know, that stopped you in your tracks? There was a lot of violence and a lot of confusion. You know, just how do I, as a young person, navigate things like poverty or drug abuse or um, at times learning disabilities? And for many of the teachers, the the one the teachers work so hard and many of their classes are overrun with students who are facing a lot of challenges sure now you go home and i mean when i think of los angeles we only have television to tell us exactly what's going on there. So we've got an idea of corporate setting and breaches and people have got great jobs and walk around in suits. <laughs> Do we have something <laughs> with, uh, in common with Los Angeles? If you now go back and you work with the children there, do, can they relate to our problems? Yes. Yes. So I was a child who grew up much like what I saw in Cape Town. You know, I had a stepfather who was a drug addict and there was violence in my home. We grew up in poverty, sometimes like with no electricity or I know you guys don't have gas running through your homes, but you know, for heating and things like that, we would rely on gas. And so we wouldn't have those things, like the basic things that that some people, you know, just don't think twice about. We in my in my house, we didn't always have those things. And so, you know, there is this idea that's presented about America. And I remember living there and people thinking, you know, oh, I come from such opulence and riches and things like that. And and that's not the case. You know, I'm not sitting well, one, I'm not sitting high and dry in Los Angeles because it's (laughs) pouring raining right now. We're in the middle of winter. But um, we face the same some of the same struggles. It's unfortunate that what is what is pushed out from America to the rest of the world is only the good, the ideal, and not some of the real day-to-day struggles that we do face here because there are a lot of struggles here as well. And then you go and you launch the Center for Biblical Unity with your friend. What was Mm -hmm. the heart behind it? What did you want to accomplish? The heart behind starting the Center for Biblical Unity was really to help people understand that critical race theory is alive and well and it's something that's in culture but at the time in 2020 it was something that was creeping into churches and so i um, studied sociology in school and i had a deep appreciation for critical race theory it was. It is not a biblical framework or worldview. And I started having conversations with my friend, Krista, and she would challenge me on the way that I was thinking because I said I was a Christian, but yet I held all of these beliefs about people and the way that the world worked. And as not only Krista, but other friends and really the power of the Holy Spirit began to grip my heart and show me in scripture the places where I was wrong, the places where my thought process and my life did not actually align with the word of God. And that was largely in part due to my commitment to critical race theory. And so as the Lord brought me away from critical race theory, 
that is when Kristen, I thought, well, you know what? We can actually teach others or more, actually not even teach, but warn others about what is coming down the path. Critical race theory in churches and in um, mission organizations and Christian institutions is something that is divisive. And so we want to warn people and offer people a better hope through the scriptures for conversations on race, justice, and unity. We believe that better hope is only found through Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus. Hmm. You've got to explain. Let's not assume. What is critical race theory? Well, I thought you might ask. (laughs) So when I am asked about critical race theory, one of the things that I definitely always want to do is not mischaracterize it. And so I read from critical race theory and introduction, which the authors of this book were present at the forming of critical race, of critical race theory as an entity or as a a well-formed idea. And so in this book, it says critical race, the, the critical race theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship between race, racism, and power. Critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. And so, in short, critical race theory is a way to view the world through a lens that puts race first. And it problematizes any disparity or any um, inequality in relation to race, racism, or power dynamics. Okay, so how does this play out in church? Practically, how are we doing this without realizing it? Okay, so I will explain how it happens in our American context. In our American context, because of things like power dynamics, let's say we have a white pastor and a white elder team and a predominantly white congregation Critical race theory would look into that congregation and see that there are more white people than black people and say the power structure is uneven. And so someone either A, needs to give up a spot on the elder team to be able to increase diversity, or there needs to be different conversations on how you are going to raise up leaders of color within your church. The automatic assumption is that because there's white leadership, there's a problem. That racism is automatically at play. Okay. Now explain to me why this is not biblical. It's not biblical first and foremost because when we look in scripture, the qualifications of an elder are not the skin color. Mm. The qualifications of an elder are character qualities. And so when we think of someone who is living their life um, as, you know, studied in the word of God. They're the man to one wife. They are raising their children well. They are they are working through and, and hold the characters of a biblical elder or deacon just because they may not have the quote-unquote right skin color does not disqualify them in Scripture. In Scripture, we don't see much conversation around skin color at all. And so to say that 
someone is someone would need to move their position to allow a person of color to come in. Well, does that mean that we are going to allow a person of color who may not be qualified, who may not hold all of the characteristics of an elder? It puts race before even scripture and the scriptural qualifications. And this is reality. It's reality. But we do it out of a sense of guilt and out of a sense of, uh, you know, unentitlement, where we feel that we've got to make up because the, the history is real. It comes out of a real yeah. brokenness and real and, that, and, and and as Christians, we want to fix that by doing things this way. So it's not out of maliciousness that these things are happening or or even, you know, that it's being forced. If we we just want to be nice in the Lord. Yes, but I don't know that nice is a biblical characteristic. Now we see kindness and yes, I do see I do see people wanting to be compassionate and I can applaud compassion mm. and yet I cannot look to the culture because these are the culture's qualifications. These are the culture's rules and regulations. I cannot look to the culture to instruct me as a believer in how I must live my life for life for life and godliness. Mm. Something else that you also address when you hear is awakening, the woke agenda. It's another one of those catchphrases, words that people are throwing around everywhere. It must be one of those big words of 2024. And this is part of that. What about the woke agenda is it that you want to address? So I do want to offer some clarity around the word woke. There's a lot of confusion around this word. The word woke originally started in the end of the 1920s, early 1930s in the southern part of America, really just to help black people understand you need to be aware or awake to racial injustice if i was passing someone on the street and i'm i'm black i'm not sure if your listeners knew that i'm, I'm <laughs> african-american and so if i were was passing another you know black person on the street and i say hey stay woke i am letting them know that down the road there is the potential for racist danger toward you so you need to stay aware Today, that word has now become a catch-all phrase for any social injustice, anything that is deemed a social injustice by the larger culture. What we fail to recognize, too, in, in this conversation of, you know, woke and wanting to be woke is that me, being aware of social, of social injustice is fine. I, I need to be aware, but I need to be aware of injustices based on the scripture's definition, not based on the culture's definition. Okay. Obviously, we're going to talk about Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So is the truth then that we stand as a person with a character um, who wants to die to self? That 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 we focus on what we have in common. In, you know, looking for for what we can agree on instead of what divides us. I think that when we look at Galatians three twenty eight, it says so. I want to start at, at twenty six. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. We have. Cl- in Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. So when we when we look when we look back, just a couple of verses. Mm. This verse is referring to our standing in Christ Jesus. 
because we are in Christ, we are now children of God. And so what it what is being said is that God isn't up there playing favorites with us. There's no neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. It would be like a parent saying, You guys are all my children. I'm not playing favorites with you. Now, when a parent has a child, Okay, so when I come into Christ, I do not lose the fact that I am a female. There are things that, you know, like when I came into Christ, I didn't change to be clear. I'm still black. Hmm. There are distinctions and, and cultural differences that we share that we will share in the in the body of Christ. The there are there are things in every culture that are worthy to be praised, but there are things in every culture that also need to be tossed out. When we think of the fact that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, that is the way that we should be treating one another. I'm not going to treat you different because you might not bear the same skin color that I do. This goes to the idea of partiality. We mm-hmm. do not in the church play by the rules of partiality or favoritism. This takes me all the way back to my comment about not removing someone based on the color of their skin. That would be playing by partiality, an unbiblical standard for partiality. So there are biblical standards for partiality. If I were married, I would prefer or be partial to my husband. If I had kids, I would be partial to them. Those are standards that we see in scripture. But we do not see a standard in scripture to be partial or favor someone based on their skin color. That's only the beginning. She's got lots more to say, I promise you. So if you want to hear it all, you can attend the Apologetics South Africa Women's Conference 2024, Race, Culture, Identity, A Biblical View. You're going to hear all about that from Monique Dusson. You can still register for two days. You can book by the 23rd of February, and you can do that by contacting them on email info at apologeticssa.co.za. Or the number 061-525-6105 and they'll contact you as well. And thank you very much for your time, Monique. You are an inspiring person and may God open so many doors for you to speak truth louder than the, the truth in inverted commas that the world wants to force on us. You're an amazing person. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank mm. you.